1: With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gourney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And we have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gourney Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right.
0: So we have Governor Gavin Newsom from California proposing to make some insulin. They're going to get in the insulin business. As of early July, this came out as a news story. And I thought it was pretty rich with a lot of stuff. I got a CNBC article here. California begin making its own low-cost insulin in an effort to make essential diabetes treatment more affordable. Well, that sounds good. Nothing epitomizes market failures more than the cost of insulin, quote-unquote, the governor said. Uh, Many Americans experience out-of-pocket costs anywhere from $300 to $500 per month for this life-saving drug. So, lots of other things in there that we can maybe touch on later, but uh, I thought it was interesting to think of, well, if they're doing insulin, why, why not do other things too? But let, let's kind of focus in on insulin if, if, if it's a specialized case. know, oh, Peter, are you interested? Do you think it's a good idea for the government to start getting some of this low-cost stuff? I mean, we got to get those greedy uh, healthcare manufacturing people out of there, right? That's where the source of the problem is. So, so wouldn't the angels of government be able to uh, do kind of a nonprofit type of deal? I, you know, that if the profits are so high, then there should be lots
1: of room, right? Well, I'm just glad that he's decided that the cost of production should be low. I'm surprised that the insulin, com- insulin companies haven't decided that too, to make the cost of production <laughs> low. I, I think, thankfully, Gavin Newsom mm-hmm. has has come to that conclusion. No, I mean, I, I think that, like, that this is... Uh, a joke, and it's like harmful in a lot of different ways, or or has the potential to be harmful in a lot of different ways. Yeah, the the industry is overregulated, and we could talk about that. I think it's funny that he calls it an example of market failure. I think it's maybe anything but that. But the the big problem with yeah, this,
0: yeah, let's. Uh, I think well, we need to hit the market failure after. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you as you go. But let let's start with the market failure because I think. People look at um, you know, what exactly is market failure? And then maybe we can get into government failure.
1: But I well, I mean, market failure would be anytime the market does not send resources to the people who value them the most. I think could be one way of putting it. And so, or uh, anytime the market produces something where the cost is greater than the benefit or doesn't produce something where the benefit's greater than the cost. Like that's several different ways you could explain maybe the same concepts. Yeah,
0: and I I might add, I like to just say the the market fails to produce the most efficient quantity uh, for some reason, which is back to your marginal benefit, marginal cost, because that's where the efficient quantity is. And then we can kind of explore reasons why they're not doing that. But they're, uh, the failure part, I like to tell my students that I don't like to think of the market getting an F. Uh, but, you know, the market is usually an A student at providing goods and services in the most efficient manner. Um, but, you know, sometimes the market uh, wants to go party on the weekend or something and they get a C, but they're really not getting an F. Um, it's usually not too far off the mark when we talk about these market failures, although in some cases they might be.
1: Yeah, I, I would say I don't think the market ever really fails. I, I think this is like an outdated view that economists yeah. have held on to. Uh, I think we talked about Coase a few weeks ago, I think Ronald Coase basically destroyed the whole idea of market failure, where he pointed out that actually the problems that we have are due to missing markets. Right. In other words, places where the market can not actually operate. And if you want to say that places where the market can not operate are examples of market failure, fine. Well, go ahead and say that I don't mind. But the point is, Market does not succeed, Markets do not succeed where they cannot be implemented properly, and the insulin market is a good example of this in the sense that they can't be implemented properly. But the reason they can't be implemented properly is because lo and behold, we have you know thousands of pages of FDA regulations on uh, how drugs can and can't be produced, and also uh, really stringent intellectual property laws that make it you know impossible for people to produce something as easy as insulin
2: so this uh you know we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast started and it was a stat that um was read uh, i can't remember who said it but about the number of insulin producers domestically um and like was it three three yeah right and so this reminded me of the baby formula issue Yeah, right which um what happened when we had this baby formula shortage was that we had a very very low number of domestic producers of baby formula and then when something bad happened to one of those producers and that one, you know, bottleneck of production got shut down. It's a huge disaster because, you know, the demand for baby formula doesn't really depend on, uh, or isn't that responsive to the price of baby formula, right? Um, If you need baby formula, you need baby formula, elasticity of demand and econ jargon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and the same thing is true of insulin, right? If you need insulin, you need insulin, and um, and so it seems like these regulations, however well-meaning or cronyistically they've been set up, right? They have the same problem, and so it seems like this insulin market could be ripe for a similar kind of disruption, even though it hasn't happened already, um, with only three domestic producers. Um, so let, let's like talk about the
0: three domestic producers. Uh, uh, I don't know this. Maybe we can do a little quick research during the break, but um, I wonder if the government actually only permits three. So like there's, let's say, three licenses that are available because this is a very important, protected blah, blah, blah. That's one way to go about it. Or as you guys were alluding to, the the regulations and the other um, uh, aspects of production, uh, make it so that you have to be a fairly big company to take advantage of uh, what we call economies of scale to throw in some other jargon that we have to make enough insulin to justify the cost. And, and so a bigger production level is good. And then that that kind of allows companies to ebb and flow. Um, you know, I don't know how many insulin companies there were 50 years ago, but I suspect there was probably more like in in many cases. And so the, the market, because of the restrictions and regulations has found the efficient levels given those constraints to be about three companies.
1: Yeah, so to to break that down further, I doubt that there is like a a limited number of licenses given out situation. That happens with hospitals sometimes, but I'm not aware of any other industry where that's the case. My guess is, so there's a few different possibilities. There's one certain possibility which I'll I'll go to that contributes. But uh, one possibility is the baby formula shortage. What was going on there or at least a big part of what was going on there is, uh, WIC, the Women, Infant, Children uh, Payments Welfare System, uh, it, it's, I actually think out of all the government, you know, handout systems, this is the one that I'm like least upset about. Uh, WIC provides, you know, food to women who are pregnant or have recently had a baby. And some of that food includes formula, but what government has done is it said, well, the formula can only be X, Y, and Z brands because we don't want you buying this brand because it could be wasteful. Mm -hmm. And so because government's not good enough to keep up with all the different formula brands and make sure that the program's not wasteful, they choose one. And it happens to be the case that like 48 states have chosen the same few companies. Mm -hmm. What this means is that there are companies out there who are getting tons of money from the government through the WIC program and other companies can't even have access to it. I wouldn't be surprised if Medicare and Medicaid did the same thing with insulin. With insulin yeah. uh, another thing that's certainly the case is uh, insulin is subject to a lot of like intellectual property laws. I actually don't think there's probably an economies of scale thing going on. Uh, I think it's actually, if my understanding is right, relatively cheap to like synthesize insulin and make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also can't do it like in your backyard. You're not allowed to make your own insulin. Uh, because certain drug companies have intellectual control over the production of insulin and this happens with a lot of drugs but insulin is one of them and it's important we don't
0: want to belittle that in the market system anyway to have intellectual property rights being part of the
1: overall property rights structure? I don't think so, but I, I, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's You're okay. You're fine I mean, with
0: copycats. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm fine with copycats. Uh, yeah, I bought my uh, Kanye for president hat here uh, <laughs> off of Amazon. I'm sure they don't have any rights to Kanye's name, but uh, no, I'm fine with copycats. I, I don't particularly worry about that. If anything, uh, maybe a tiny bit of intellectual property uh, law or norms should be you know, there. It's uh, right. certainly
0: something that's long standing. Is not healthy at all. I mean, the the patent laws allow for seventeen years, so I don't know how these companies would be able to control that aspect of it um, unless it's somehow through uh, um, the design of it or something. I don't I don't understand how that. Yeah, can, I think specific long-standing things.
1: So, Justin, do you have something? Well, That's I, gotta know, be I know insulin thing.
2: use uh, was originally sourced from uh, pork and beef. Right? So they Use pig insulin, and now that's been discontinued. So uh, they stopped the production of so uh, innovation insulin, in, insulin. <laughs> in 1998, and then pork insulin they stopped in 2006 um, in the US. And so, I mean, if you're making certain forms of it, yeah, um, one, illegal, of the th- one of the things I wanted
0: to add on to what Peter was saying is that we often get hung up with monopolies that were like afraid Google and Facebook and Apple and whatever that the monopoly or monopoly power. But what often gets overlooked is what we call a monopsony, a big buyer. So the buyer can have a lot of control and distort the market and cause inefficiencies. And that's exactly where government slips in is that they are a big buyer of baby formula. They are a big buyer of of, uh, potentially insulin um, through Medicaid and Medicare they're a big buyer of education in the sense of the subsidies that they provide Uh, they're a big buyer of healthcare. so wherever we see the government being a big buyer we have seen a lot of uh, price increases and other things that aren't consistent with a competitive market and it's not so much the seller side that maybe we need to worry less about monopolies and worry a little bit more about the power of the of the buyer that controls uh, a large fraction of the
1: market. Yeah. So just doing uh, some quick reading, the reason that uh, insulin patents still exist is because they might make the companies who hold them make slight improvements over time. And so that allows them okay, to make a little patent. modification. Yeah, there's currently no generic insulin uh, on the market that's been allowed by the FDA and is currently being sold.
0: There, and there's the key allowed by the FDA. Yeah. And then we get into probably some cronious structures of, of the big pharma of making the insulin and, and, uh, our government
1: institutions that regulate them. Yeah, so uh, to to get, to bring to the market failure point, I think the reason that this is, the reason we could say that we're not, we don't have the right amount of insulin being produced, if you wanna say that, uh, is that we're not allowed to have a market for insulin. And there's several laws that are you know basically saying, if you try to make it market for insulin, uh, we're gonna find you and put you in jail.
0: Okay, I didn't think I was gonna circle this podcast around to uh, possibly supporting Newsome, but Now, all of a sudden, after exploring this with y'all, there's a chance he might be breaking that down because now why does California have the right to compete with them? I could see some other private businesses saying, well, we can make it lower than these guys, but here's the reasons we can't. And then if California is able to jump into the market and and be a, a provider of it at a lower cost, it probably exposes, the current structure that's the problem. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I'm sure. not ready to be on Newsom's side yeah, yet, but I'm saying- I'll, yeah, I'll, uh, let, I'll uh, let Justin go.
2: Justin let's let the problem. Californian go. Yeah, there. so uh, we could talk all about monopolies and, you know, and uh, making sure the market's open, but, but there's a question, should California be producing this? Yes, uh, absolutely. I'll, is Newsom going to spearhead this, right? Um, and California's main thing that they've been trying to do for 20 years now um, since 2000 has been a high speed rail. Um, so, you know, um, you can talk to me about how California is actually going to produce insulin at a low rate when the, when the insulin actually uh, hits the product line. We have been promised high speed rail in California since 2000 when the projected budget was 25 billion. Uh, and right now, as, as of 2018, uh, it was 77 billion, right? and there's still no high-speed rail. And now they're, instead of having high-speed rail from like the top, from San Diego to um, San Francisco, now the only high-speed part that they're going to do is like from Merced or something to San Francisco. So um, the actual amount of high-speed rail has been sh- shortened tremendously. Um, it still hasn't been delivered and the cost is through the roof. And, yeah. so, and there is no way to control that price either. Yeah, it yeah, keeps yeah. getting more expensive. Yeah. The lo- or the rail keeps getting smaller. So um I really, really doubt that California as an entity is going to be able to come in and deliver. Uh, insulin at a lower actual production cost that isn't just something footed by the California tax.
1: Yeah, so so I, I do wanna, before we hop into break, I wanna make that distinction. Uh, listeners, we use terms a lot in economics that sound similar, but aren't. Price and cost are two different things. I think it's actually very possible for California to provide low price insulin. In other words, to sell insulin for a small amount of money. I think it's impossible for California to do anything but have Dramatically over cost insulin. The, the cost of the production of insulin will certainly be higher than every private company's costs uh, stacked together. I'd I, I put money on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that looks like a good cliffhanger for break. We definitely need to jump into that a little bit further. Uh, maybe we can talk about some other successes and failures of governments providing goods and services. You know, there, maybe there's some shining uh, stories of uh, government provided goods that have been big successes. I doubt it, but we'll see. We'll try to push real hard to see if we can find any. We'll be back in just
1: a bit. The Gordon Institute is offering a free Econ 101 class to homeschool students in the Ottawa area. We're covering things like scarcity, supply and demand, and going through some common economic fallacies. The class starts July 29th and will continue each Friday throughout August. If you're interested, contact Peter, Justin, or us today.
2: Ottawa University has an exciting new major. P.P.E. which stands for philosophy, politics, and economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical. If you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles. If you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University.
1: If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit the Gortney Give page on the Ottawa University website today.
0: The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest, This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and participate in a competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics, PPE. Our Everyday Economics program is just a half day on Saturday, and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. All right. So, Peter, uh, you, you left us hanging with some price versus cost. I mean, the difference is
1: profit, isn't it? Uh, and in between? Or? And, yeah, in a literal sense, yes. And so, again, what price is? and this is the easier one to understand. Price is just what people pay for a product. Right. You pay prices for things all the time. But note what you pay for a product, at least in theory, doesn't have to be the same as what the company spends to create the product or what society loses. Whenever you create a product like insulin, you're using things like natural resources, you're using machines, you're using laborers. All of those different factors of production, we call them in economics, could be used to produce other things. It could be used to produce something else called an opportunity cost, whatever the next best thing it could have produced. And there's some dollar values to that opportunity cost, at least in theory. And so. If companies are competitive, what happens is if your price is greater than the cost of production, that means you're going to make profit every single unit. But when you see someone else making a profit, you can jump in that industry, and so you jump in the industry and you offer the same product for a little bit lower price and this process continues until basically companies are selling something for about what it costs them to produce it and that's great because that reflects the actual cost of the factors of production to society that's again the laborers the machine the land and so that's the market working really well the problem with government being involved in production is government the the choice that government faces or government actors face is not actually the real cost of something the people who bear the real cost of government production are the taxpayers it's whatever you would have used your tax money for uh, that's your opportunity cost and does the government know that well no they don't uh, there's no way they add up the opportunity cost of every single tax bill that the California government goes up. Uh, hands out there's just no way they could even come to that how much is your extra $10 worth to you sometimes people's uh, you know ability to make rent comes down to uh, double digit uh, in terms of money, so these are sometimes huge opportunity costs. When government actors make decisions, their opportunity cost is things like, well, will this cost me votes or not? That's different than the monetary opportunity cost. Government, because it doesn't make profits, actually doesn't have any way to consistently measure or approximate or lower costs. Uh, it's just not something that's in the government system to be able to do, unlike companies who have to keep costs down if they wanna make a profit.
0: You know, Wouldn't it be great if we passed legislation uh, that that like, you know, government's all about transparency and we have food label laws or whatever, but for every policy, like let's say this is a hundred million dollar deal in California, they have to express it in terms of another policy of how many meals could be purchased for hunger or something, right? Imagine that's like our normalized currency that, okay, we could spend uh, 50 million on building roads and bridges, or we could do 50 million here. But every time they do that, they have to express it in terms of some other policy instrument that would mean something to people like, that's why I brought up food, Uh, you know, something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, last podcast we got into uh, towards the end, something called effective altruism, which I spent a little bit of time dunking on, but I do (laughs) think that there's value in the idea that it's important to consider the cost of things in terms of other things. And yeah, it would be really nice to see we know certain things like kidney dialysis machines. Uh, we have a number for how much those cost per year to run. And some people don't get the treatment that they need because they can't afford that number. Let's put, you know, this uh, this policy or our high-speed railway in terms of, well, how many years of life could we provide to people on kidney dialysis machines? I, I don't yeah. mind doing that. I think that's a good exercise, I yeah, agree, with us. Yeah. Uh
0: The other thing that came to mind was the um, student, program lunch programs got extended and it's usually a celebration of good news everybody the everybody for summer school the the federal program's been extended that it's every student that comes to lunch is gonna be a free breakfast and free lunch and i can't help but think you know where where's the taxpayers being uh represented in terms of um uh, are there rich kids getting these meals too right. probably yeah. right and so there's these inefficiencies but it still has a nice spin to it exactly. and so we're we're too far detached from the dollar spent and the, the effectiveness of the program and the alternatives that we're overlooking
1: yeah unlike consumer products where if you buy a product that stinks you pay the price for it right yeah if you buy a car you really look into the history of that seller because if you buy a bad car you're really in trouble if you vote for a bad policy, uh, you're not even going to affect the outcome. So what does that matter? So there's a disconnect between the consumer and politician that doesn't exist between the consumer and the company. And so central planning, because it can't really measure opportunity costs because it doesn't have profit and loss tends to fail, especially central planning of production. And a really good example of that is the Soviet Union. And Luke, I think you mentioned uh, you had an example that you were thinking of. Was it the LADA? Yeah, a lot yeah. of cars that they made in the 1970s that all looked like cookie cutters, the exact same, uh, never improved them for 30, 40 years. And so 40 years later, they look the exact same. They're just making newer models of it. And yeah, I just and- thought about how they wouldn't improve in terms of the government would not improve their car.
0: They're just going to, it works. Let's get it out there. Yeah, run it out. uh The picture that I showed Luke in class when he was an undergrad is one that I try to show to classes. It was next to the BMW, the evolution of the BMW since 1970. And so you guys know that the, you know, the BMW four-door sedan is pretty hot looking car. Back in the seventies, the Lada and the BMW looked very similar. And so it's, it's a cool picture to see the progression of how the BMW evolved over time to what it is today uh, versus the Lada that still looks the same.
2: I can't resist a short anecdote. My uh, philosophy professor, John Searle, who was a famous philosopher, he got uh he would the Soviet Union um, had him come visit, and he's a huge car guy, and so he demanded instead of getting a chauffeur, he wanted to drive um, a Lada, right? oh. <laughs> and he said he knew he was under surveillance because when he was driving it every day, he would be complaining about something in the car, and the next morning that thing would be fixed. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, these are two great examples of the Soviet Union, like in practice for a long time, economists thought the Soviet Union is going to work because what a lot of people don't remember because of how socialism the term is used and abused, socialism, at least a, one core, core component of it is, we're going to scientifically plan production, which sounds really cool to academics, which why, which is why you had so many, uh, basically, uh soviet apologists in academia because yeah. people really and like you get to use some science. math and yeah yeah you best. get look you, make
0: everybody as let's happier. use
1: diff and diff to discover the true <laughs> amount of car a lot of cars we need to produce and how big they should be right yeah the, this this ridiculous like poindexter nonsense uh is really at the center of a lot of uh, socialism at the time uh and so a lot of economists thought this was going to be great that yeah they were going to plan production successfully and once they calculate the efficient everything uh you know Uh, Paul Samuelson, one of the most famous economists in the 20th century, notoriously throughout his textbook predicted for 20 years that the Soviet Union was going to overtake the United States. uh, Right up until the year the Soviet Union collapsed and no one saw this coming except, well, there are a few, one of them was an economist named Murray Rothbard. and What Rothbard pointed out was all these good Soviet numbers are with reference to production and, of course, government can produce things. But the question is whether or not consumers are benefiting from the production. That's the difference between what California can do and what companies can do. Companies can say, are our consumers valuing our product? If not, they're not buying it for the price we're selling it for and we're not gonna make money. Whereas in, if California starts producing insulin, uh, who knows if consumers are going to be benefiting as much as the costs? Who knows if another policy is gonna be better? There's no, literally no mechanism for government to be able to tell. And so, yes, uh, I think California could produce a really low price insulin if they want to. But the question is, what other things are we giving up in order to do that? And could it be the case? It certainly has been in the past for a lot of things. Could it be the case that we're giving up more good things than we're getting in terms of the trade
0: off? Well, and you're not hearing the fairness aspect of it. Uh, where how many diabetics are there? What fraction of the population do diabetics make up mm-hmm. and that are utilizing the lesser expensive insulin? And so now you've got this $50 billion policy where I'm just gonna pull out a number, I have no idea, but let's just say not 10% of the public is using, which I'm sure is probably way high, but uh, we've got 90% of the public funding this operation for insulin. Hopefully they would make Break even, as they say. So their argument would probably be, well, we're going to produce insulin and it's it's going to break even at lower cost. That is probably a joke once they actually get into producing. You know, what the the counter to that would be, well, what reason do we have to believe that the current producers have that much margin? And so, um, in the same article that I started off with, uh, it says insulin in the United States costs one hundred dollars per unit on average. That's nearly four times the price in Chile which has the second highest price among 34 countries that were analyzed by the nonprofit Rand Corporation. So there's the margin that they're looking at. So the immediate question would be, oh, why don't we just buy it from the rest of the world? If the world has, if there's a market for insulin, um, maybe we need to think about opening up to markets, right? And yeah. not only would that help California, but it's gonna help the rest of the United States. Of course, uh, the US production is, is uh, going to be harmed by that. Newsom goes on to say that uh, the the typical this will provide new high-paying jobs and a stronger supply chain. Well, my guess is part of the reason why our insulin uh, costs higher than in Chile is that they have low-cost labor down there to produce the insulin, whereas we're, we have American workers here. And again, uh, some people would say, "Well, that's right. You know, let's have uh, help American workers," but we're not always helping all americans in that we got to look at how that
1: gets uh, parsed out yeah i do want to highlight too just re- really quickly going back to the beginning of your comments russ government it's literally impossible for government to break even we'll start with that yeah uh, the reason it's impossible for the government to break even is they don't actually bear the cost of their policies right that's the taxpayer who's bearing the policy so government really can't break even because they're not even really paying the cost that would be like saying uh can walmart break even on my decision To purchase things from target it's like it's a nonsensical question Uh, walmart's not relevant to the the question. And so i'll start there and yeah I I mean ultimately what this comes down to is like whether you say jobs are the benefit or cheaper. uh, You know care for for people with diabetes ultimately comes down to is it worth the cost or not. Now I can hear the counter argument already which isn't a bad one it's like well this saves lives right, you know people having better access to insulin is going to save lives. Uh, and if you wanna use that as your metric, again, that's fine, it saves lives, but how many lives could have been saved otherwise with you know, people keeping their own money or some alternative policy? Uh, And so I I agree with you, Russ. So economics predicts we should have one price uh, throughout different regions. And if there's not one price, we have to explain that. So why is it that we can't buy insulin from all these countries where it's cheaper? It's because the FDA makes it against the rules, right? You're not allowed to buy insulin on Amazon from some Canadian company where it's cheaper and bring it to the U.S. Because the government says you're not allowed to do that. Right. <laughs> and so I always think it's funny when we have our solution, then, well, government has clearly created this mess. Again, we, we have the situation and how are we going to solve it? Well, we're going to have government control production. This is going to make things worse. Yeah. Uh, companies aren't going to be able to compete with this. We only have the three manufacturers. Uh, so at best, quote unquote, with if government succeeds, it's going to put these people out of business. California is going to put these other manufacturers out of business. Uh, Which in the long run won't be good. And then if Newsom gets into
0: office, it'll turn into the federal (laughs) insulin-making business, right? And
1: and, and, you know, even another consideration is: well, are these big pharmaceutical companies going to want to go out of business? No. Well, then how much money are they willing to spend in California politics to, uh, you know, enable themselves to continue into the future? And once you start to get even a little cynical about all this, it's like this: this policy can't work in practice. There's no way he's going to undermine an entire pharmaceutical industry successfully. He's going to end up joining with them and that's going to mean cost through the roof paid for by the taxpayers yeah.
0: when opening up to global markets would probably be a simple easier solution cost effective and otherwise and and still safe i might add and i thought we'd bring the philosopher in on this question uh when you mentioned uh what about the rights of people to buy low-cost insulin from other sources i mean don't we live in a country where uh people have the right to buy from whoever they want to buy from um uh, dr clark uh, what do you think on the right to buy from chile or some other insulin source if i'm a diabetic
2: that right's being denied right you just don't have that right (laughs) uh the question do we live in a country where you have the right no you don't uh you know you could say like we ought to have that right but we don't um and uh that seems like it's a big problem you can say like i don't know you can have a debate about natural rights versus you know political rights here what, what the term rights mean but you certainly um you know as formulated in us law you do not have that right yeah. um, you don't even have the right to buy from you know, somebody making insulin in the United States does right. have the stamp. An American from. in the garage, or yeah. yeah. Maybe you know, a bigger I mean, factory
0: maybe. than that might be a closed-down grocery store that they've been able to uh effectively turn into an insulin. Do you, do you have same. an insulin production? <laughs> I don't know. I'm numbers. starting to think about it now that I understand the economics. <laughs> it's out operating out of an old
2: Kmart business <laughs> <the> production.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> I made mayonnaise yesterday with a Cuisinart. I could make insulin out of yeah. Rosemary insulin. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: well, uh, and one of the things of the Economic Freedom Index is it, it measures to what extent are you able to buy internationally. Are there trade barriers, tariffs, or otherwise? That uh, And so this is one thing that the U- U.S. falls down on, right? And and insulin's just one of many uh, healthcare products, of course, and, and drugs that um, we don't have the freedom that other countries around the world do.
2: Yeah. And there's a bunch of drugs that people go down to Mexico who live close to the yeah. border um, for this exact reason, right? Yeah. Or they order from like a pharmacy in Canada or something because uh, the market is restricted in the U.S. and you just don't have the right to buy what you want to buy. And, yeah. 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 yeah, I bought
0: some Omeprazole in Cancun. It was in a different bottle. I, I just started using it kind of. So I I, I looked at it. it was 120 tablets for uh, 9.99. Costco, I just saw it on sale, uh, $8.99 for 24 tablets. I mean, that that's yeah, there's sure your the full, you know, change right there. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and I to tackle maybe one last argument because uh, someone could make what I think is actually a decent point, which is, and I think Russ, you alluded to this earlier, which is like we don't have that free market. And so maybe a second best option would be to have like this government competition thing going on uh, to provide you know, another layer. And Someone might point to, well, there's lots of you know, single payer healthcare systems out there with cheaper insulin. And so maybe this is proof that when government's involved with the insulin market, it's better. But it, it, it is important to note that uh, whenever we have this conversation, a lot of countries basically free ride off the United States healthcare yeah. system, specifically our research and development of new things. So while it might be true that some companies or some countries could maybe have lower price drugs by having like this government run rather than this quasi government regulated market, like maybe the second best is actually like a full single payer system. Recognize that when you implement that in the United States, which is one of the last developed countries that doesn't have that, you might lose all of those nice research benefits that come from for-profit companies that we have here that no other country seems to be able to replicate. No, that's
0: a great point to bring up. So that we're gonna start to stifle drug development and I don't know, maybe we're healthy enough. I I, I mean, I'm all about development, but it would stifle it. And I, I actually am a believer in some sort of protection of the intellectual property rights. And even the 17, I think uh, my colleague here, Peter, might disagree with me on that, but right. I'm okay with that type of thing, but it has to have a sunset date. And so what we've, today is we have, <laughs> what we've learned today is that somehow three companies are able to keep competition out. And it's probably more likely the, the cronyous structure between uh, them and the FDA or right. something. So, yep. uh, so there's other aspects at, at fault um so yeah i think the the market basics when we hear market failure um the first thing i like to go to is is the market competitive and and here we learned today that that that's where it's at and uh i think we have a couple different ways that that could be changed one is to if we want to keep it domestic we loosen up the ability for other domestic producers to make it If we wanna think more global, we open up the world to to insulin buying. I mean, there's just a couple avenues to go that are about a thousand times better than allowing California to enter the market of production with subsidies and as Peter alluded to, an inability to effectively monitor what the true cost of making it is. And and so that brings up a whole bunch of problems that uh, I don't think California or any other place would wanna get into. All right, well, any other final words? This has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, we do have a donate button at the Gortney Institute webpage, so if you feel so inclined to continue to support uh, this podcast, as well as the other activities of the Institute, we'd sure appreciate Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.